going on uh, in the building with our children and in the college, uh, with the college age, with the high school. We have a group outside. Isn't it great to be able to study God's Word? Well, there's two of us. Oh, come on. Isn't it great to be able to study God's Word? Amen? Okay, that's better. Um, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of the class, and I hope you've got your Bible. And even if you didn't do your homework, that's okay. We're going to be in the book of uh, Psalms and Psalm 119, which is a wonderful study. But before we get into that, uh, of course, remember all of those who are on our sick list and who need our prayers. And remember Brother Tommy, who is having some surgery this week, and, and I'm sure others. And uh, I'll, rem- I'll try to announce it again, but if you did not get the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, Kevin, is Kevin, yeah, okay, I thought it was you again, uh, will be in the back in the little chapel to help you with that, and I appreciate you doing that. But would you pray with me uh, as we begin? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for the privilege of being your children, for the privilege of opening your truth and gleaning from it, and learning from it. And help us do that, Father, with an open mind and a willing heart as we dig into your word and apply it to our lives from Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. Help us be ready listeners. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, if you've got your Bible in front of you, we'll look at verse by verse, but I want us to, let's just read this text together. Of course, as we said last week, as we said last week, that this is a, a poem or a song that is broken down into stanzas of eight verses. And each of the eight verses are headed up by, the first, by a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And so the second group tonight is the group... Um, let me back that up. There we go. Before we start, again, if you haven't figured it out already... There's some repetition 
in this psalm. But it's, sometimes we find repetition is maybe a negative word, that being repetitive is somehow uh, not a good thing. Well, now, in, in the English language, from the aspect of, of writing and, and trying to teach students to be good writers, there is something called redundancy, which is the wrong kind of repetition. But there's also a tool that is literally called repetition, where you repeat things a certain time for a certain purpose on purpose to, to make a point or to get it across in, in a strong way or a subtle way or throughout this psalm is interwoven every aspect of God's Word that we could imagine, and more than we can imagine, that we need in every detail and every, every part of our lives. And that's what's really beautiful about this particular uh, study of text. So tonight as we look at Lesson 2, uh, we're going to think about our relationship and our responsibility to the Word of God as it's outlined for us in this particular text. So I want us to just read it together and listen to it before we break it down. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me wander, let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With your lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now, I could read that and say... Okay, that's some really good stuff. That helps me understand that, yes, the Word of God is important. But again, what I want this study to be, what I pray that it is, is that you and I are challenged on a deeper level to think about who we are as God's children, what God's Word is to us as God's children, and we are to it. My relationship with God's Word. My responsibility towards God's Word, okay, there are four different elements that appear in this particular psalm. First of all, my relationship and my responsibility with God's Word involve my life. Now, you read those and you think, okay, that's pretty simple. But when you dig a little deeper, the simplicity gives way to some, some great depth of understanding. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And I, I put up there uh, two other verses, uh, or, or two other, that's the ESV. Well, I'm not doing this right, apparently. Okay. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? That's the New King James. And the message, now I'm not a, a big fan of the message, but sometimes it's for lack of a better term, Jim, it's fun to read, uh, just to listen, because sometimes you think, nah. Uh, but some of these here are, are pretty good. How can a young person live a clean life? By carefully reading the map of your word. Okay, there we go. So, my relationship, my responsibility involves my life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We have to understand as children of God that, yes, we are spiritual beings, but on this side of eternity, uh, on this side of eternity, that spirituality is housed in and is um, applied through my life, my body. Everything about who I am as a person, my personality, my emotions, my mind, uh, uh, my, uh, my physical condition and what I do with it in God's service. Now, sometimes if we're not careful, we, we let ourselves separate the two when in fact there really is no separation. On this side, of, because Paul would not have said you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And what he was saying is give your whole life. Give everything that you are to God as a living sacrifice. And so here the question is, how can a young, a young man, but of course we know that applies to all of us, 
How can someone keep his way pure or her way pure? Here, most likely, the psalmist was an older person, was, was older, and is looking back, giving advice or, or giving uh, warning. That word way in the Hebrew has the idea of a well-worn path or a highway. And so how many times in life, in fact, in Matthew 7, 21 uh, uh, and 22, uh, or Matthew, no, no, wrong verse, Matthew 7, 13 and 14, uh, life is talked about as a way. There's a broad way, there's a narrow way. Even Jesus used that analogy. We're living our lives, we're traveling. How many songs have been written about the highway of life? Well, we're simply moving down or through our lives from birth all the way to whenever eternity starts for us. And so the question is, how can a person, while he's on or while she's on that highway, keep his or her life the way it should be? Now, that word keep, keep pure, that you read in your English Bible, that is one word in the Hebrew. And it has the idea of being innocent. Okay, that makes sense. To make clean, well, that makes sense. Uh, to be translucent. Now, I had to stop and scratch my head on that just a little bit. But the idea, and, and let's go ahead, keeping. How can it keep his way or her way pure? That word keep has the idea of guarding or to hedge about or, or, or to preserve. Okay, let's think just a minute. The answer, of course... How do you preserve, how do you keep your life by, hedge, by, by keeping uh, or keep your life pure by hedging it about with God's Word? Hmm. By surrounding it with God's Word. By filling it up and preserving it with God's Word. 1 John 1, 7, I think we read that one last week. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of His Son does what? Cleanses us. So the idea uh, of... How do I keep my life pure? Is by, I make sure that it stays cleansed. And how do I stay cleansed? By walking in the light. You say, okay, yeah, I've known that all my life. Uh, turn with me to... Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1. Let's read a couple of verses. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1. And... Then we're going to, go, going to go over to a passage in the New Testament in the Sermon on the Mount that I think, I'm, I know, well, no, I don't think, I know I'm guilty of just kind of sliding over it and not spending enough time in it. But it fits here. It fits here. Okay, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1. Somebody read that. Nice and loudly so they can hear it on the... Live stream. Okay. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before those evil days come. Now, we often use that verse, and we use it correctly, I think, to talk about or pressing upon young people the need to start living for God early, the need to begin learning God's Word early, and that is absolutely true, absolutely true. But may I suggest an additional meaning? May I give you something to think about, maybe? Jim, do you mind? You may have already turned. Have you already turned from it? Okay, will you read it one more time? Now, would you say that it is a correct application of that verse to say, as young people, we, we need to encourage our young people, and as young, as young, as soon as we can, to begin to serve God, learn about God, to store up God's Word in our heart, because if we wait too long, there's going to come a time when it, it, that might not happen. Yes, absolutely. But think about this. Could it also be an application of this passage? that I need to store God's Word in my heart. I need to begin to serve God as a younger person because when I get older, I'm going to need it even more. 
yet when I get down the road, I'm going to need it. And that seems to be, Brother Jim, the idea. I, I agree, amen, exactly. Because um, there's going to come a time when I'm going to need God's Word in ways I haven't imagined yet. It's like I have talked, when sometimes when I talk to teenagers, I don't get upset like I used to. I've been teaching, this is, God has blessed me, this is my 27th year, and you can tell it. Um, and I, I think about it, uh, I did something the other day I probably wish I hadn't done. Um, you know, have you ever seen pictures of gospel meeting flyers and you saw that preacher and said, that's the same picture he had on that 23 years ago. Yeah. You know, so they said, do you want a new badge? Update the badge. I said, sure, why not? Update it with the last picture we took. And I thought, what happened? He got old. <laughs> but the idea is that we, there are going, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Let me back up to what I'm about to say. Is that I don't get as upset as I used to be when I'm trying to explain something to those much younger than I. And they just kind of look at you with that, uh, Nobody's home kind of stare because they say, what do you don't get it? And I, then I understand, no, they really don't get it. They don't get it because they don't, because they're dumb. No, they're not dumb at all. They don't get it because they don't appreciate it. They do. But they don't appreciate it because they haven't lived long enough to, un to see it. They haven't lived long enough to, to, to understand, I know what this means and I know how this applies, but when I'm actually there, and it's having to be applied, then I really do get it. And the idea is I need to go ahead, and we're about to get into that, to begin to provide God's Word in my heart so that when I need it, it's there. I need it all the time. But I begin now my relationship with my life. Now, I can't help, before we leave this, I have to talk about Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23. Matthew 6, because I want you to think about this. It involves my life. How can a, a young man, how can a person keep, hedge himself about, herself about, in a way, or, or keep his way pure, innocent, translucent? Well, by simply surrounding himself or herself in the Word of God. Okay, somebody read Matthew 6, 22 and 23. I want to be the first one to say that as a Christian, I have not studied that verse and put it into practice enough. The idea there, the I is a representation of the intake. The intake of not just sensory imagery, but, but the intake of everything. The things I take into my mind or into my life that become what's in here and what guides me and what, what I, I draw on. And here he says, if the eye is, what? If it's darkness. Now, how can light, I mean not eye, if the eye is light, full of light, then great is, but if it's darkness, how can light be darkness? That's not a trick question. I, it sounds like it, but it's as simple as it sounds. How can light become darkness? If I were to say to Todd Sweeney back there, he's right there close to it. If I were to say, make this light darkness, and he reached back behind him and pulled that switch, what happens? Lights go off, and suddenly the light is darkness. Why? Because the light's gone. Okay, now, think about that. You're thinking, wait a minute, what's that got to do with Psalm 119.9? It's that word pure. Keep himself, cleanse his way, or keep his way pure. That word in the Hebrew, has the idea of translucent. It contains that meaning. What's the difference between transparent and translucent? Now, I'm not trying to, to be fancy here, but that's really a cool understanding. Glass is transparent. The light comes in, but you can also what? See through it. Translucent, you can't see through it. It's like uh, sometimes the kind we put on bathroom windows and, and things like that, but the light still comes through. 
And you're thinking, what has that got to do with the study of God's Word? It's got everything to do with this Word because this Word, keep His way, keep her way pure, that word pure, uh, keep pure, in the Hebrew had the understanding of something that was translucent, the light could get through. It's important that the light is able to shine through into our hearts and out of our hearts. But what happens if I am painting my house? Uh, that's a translucent. That glass back there, don't... At the very top, sorry. I'm easily distracted. It's translucent. But what if we had somebody, Jim, uh, hired to... If we were to paint, to paint, and they just painted right over that. The light wouldn't come in anymore, would it? Because we blocked it out. Now, you're thinking, what? again, now let's see if this makes any sense. How can a person keep his or her way pure? Keep it so that the light continues to shine through it, inside and then out. That's that Luke passage. Or the Matthew passage. There's a passage in Luke that says the same thing. By keeping it so that it's clean... Well, by hedging it about, by guarding it with the Word of God. And you know, I cannot help but think about uh, that word keep, keeping it, guarding it according to the Word of God. That word I said meant, meant to protect or preserve. Well, we were blessed not too long ago to get Lisa a, uh, a, a, another car. We needed one. We bought a, uh, what we thought was a really, 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 really great deal um, uh, back earlier, a white BMW, and we thought, well, we thought that was nice. And it was, the price was too good to be true. You know why? Because <laughs> it was. Uh, <laughs> uh, found out uh, that it had actually been stolen and wrecked uh, and several other things, and the uh, uh, title had been, yeah, it was, and the odometer had been changed, and then it made a lot of sense. You know, this thing doesn't act like it's as old. That's because, yeah, we found out the hard way. So we got a different one. It's a Nissan Rogue. And that thing has got bells and whistles on it that I don't even know how to use. But it's got the coolest thing is that when you back up in a car at Walmart, uh, do you know the Walmart parking lot is the most dangerous place on the planet? and you're backing up at the Walmart parking lot, and here comes a car, you know that thing will beep at you and say, car. doesn't actually say car, but that's what it means. That's really neat. Or if you're on the interstate and a car is passing on your side, there's a little light that blinks and shows you that there's a car. Or if it gets too close, it beeps. Have any of you ever been on the interstate and gone too far to the right? I'm talking about the newer interstates, the ones the way they're built now, and you get too far to the, the edge. What's it do? Exactly. That's perfect. Could you do that again? No, I'm kidding. Uh, that's perfect. And you do that, and you know what? What do you know when that happens? You, yeah, you wake up or you move over. Look, I'm really not trying to be silly. I'm trying to tell you, it's like I tell my students at school, that you have the, the misfortune or the good fortune, depending on your point of view, of having the dumbest teacher on the planet. I only know one way to explain things, and that's super simple. When you ease over and you hit that special raised pavement, it's telling you you're too close to the edge. Move over. That light is saying, hey, 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 car. That beep is saying, look, pay attention, look at that, because that may be too close. Now, that's exactly what this relationship with God's Word is like. It involves my life, that I fill my life with the Word of God in a way that when I get too close to the edge, it beeps at me. Not literally, but most definitely, spiritually. And when I see, when I get too far in the wrong direction, the Word of God will remind me. Why? Because it's active. It's active. And that's where we get to number two, and I don't want to spend too much time on number one. Let's look at number two. It involves my life, my relationship and responsibility with the Word of God involve my life. Okay, one more time. There we go. My relationship and my responsibility with God's Word involves my heart. Of course, the word heart here has the idea of the center of a person. 
We try to define it sometimes as the intellect and the emotional center and literally and where the soul resides. It's everything that I am besides what I see in the mirror. My heart. Who I am beyond what I look at on in the mirror or on my driver's license picture. It involves my heart. Look at verses 10 through 12. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. There is so much here. There is so much here for us to think about. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your words. The idea of the word wander in Jeremiah 10 and verse 23 that Brother Ken used this morning. Oh Lord, I know that it is not in man that walks to direct his own footsteps. The way of man is not in him. So what's he saying? Let me not wander from your commandments. I can't send myself the right way all by myself. I am seeking you, and the way that I seek you, the reason I am seeking you with my whole heart, is so that I don't wander. Let me not wander from your commandments, because that's when I get into trouble. I have stored up. Turn, uh, let's go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verses 44 and 45. I have stored up in your heart, or in my heart, I'm sorry, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word wander... W-A-N-D-E-R, wander. Now that's uh, that's a good Hebrew word, a good English word, but it's a good southern word. What does wander mean? Oh, come on, what? You just yes, you're just roaming around. You wander off. Now that's a good, I'm glad you put it that way, Sister Janita, because the idea of the word, it's interesting, it has the idea of wandering, roaming, but usually there is something that draws you, that makes you roam. And that word could mean a number of things. The Hebrew application could mean a number of things, both neutral and negative. But I simply wander off, and then I can't find my way back. So... Let me not wander from your commandments. Why? Because if I wander off too far, I can't find my way back. Has, have any, raise your hand if you've ever been to the last leaders' convention. Okay. Has anybody ever been to Nashville? To the last convention? Okay. To the Operaland Hotel? Okay, you'll appreciate this. Big place, isn't it? You'll appreciate this. I had a young man that, that went with us from Burnsville. Um, uh, he had some, some, some various struggles in life, was a really good kid. He's since passed from this life because of health. But he called me. He called me and said, Hey, Steve, I'm lost. I said, Oh, Joe, what happened? Uh, I, because I knew, I said, they were one of the, don't, do not wander off from the group. Stay together. He said, well, I was looking at something and I, I walked over to look at it and I turned around and, and I couldn't find and I saw what looked like Stephanie and, I, I, and then I, I followed her and it wasn't her. Okay, here comes the fun part. I said, where are you? He said, I'm by an elevator with gold carpet and a table. I said, Joe, there's, a hundred or, there's several hundred elevators with gold carpet and tables. That doesn't help at all. He said, well, I'm on the second floor. I said, Joe... There's miles of second floor. That still doesn't help. He said, well, I'm by a glass door and I see green. I said, okay, we may never find Joe. But we did. We did. But he wandered off. And he was in what he thought was uh, 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 friendly surroundings until he realized he wasn't where he was supposed to be and he had no idea how to get back. That's the idea of don't wander off here. Okay, somebody read Luke 6, 43 and 44, and let's think about it. Wait a minute, is that Luke 6? Yes. Yeah, go ahead. That's, we'll wait on you. Luke 6, 43 through... 
44. I thought I might have said it wrong. Please. Okay, go ahead and read 45 too. Okay, now, I have stored up your word in my heart. That word means exactly what you think it means. The idea of, of storing it up. I have filled it up in abundance, but wait, look, the second clause makes us understand the first. I have stored up your word in my heart, in the inner part of me. Why have I done that? I've done it for a reason. I did not do it simply so that people would look at me and call me a good Christian. I did not do it simply because that's what my mama expected, but I'm telling you it was. I told, uh, uh, I think it was Jim I was talking to the other day, that the worst trouble I think I have ever been in in my entire life was when I was a senior in high school. You know, when you're a senior, you're grown, and you can do what you want to. That's not true. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that's not really true. The worst trouble I've ever been in in my life is when I slipped out of a vacation Bible school class and went to the ball field at Tishomingo uh, because they to call a, a ball game as an umpire because that's what I really want to do. So I slipped out early. Number one, I don't know how she found out. But number two, I thought she was going to kill me. And my, especially, I th you know what I think put her over the edge is when I said it's just a Bible class. Don't ever say that to a godly mama. There was one of those cases where a teenager didn't really understand what he needed. Oh, I get it now. I get it now. I store it up because I'm going to need it later. I'm going to, to need it. And so rather than having to go, because look, we could spend another hour talking about Matthew 13, talking about the parable of the sower, where when that seed dropped on the outside, if that seed had been left alone, hey, it would have gotten rained on, it would have gotten blown into a crevice, and it would have very likely have germinated. But Satan isn't going to leave it alone that long. Satan isn't going to let it lie there unprotected. He's going to snatch it up. He's going to make sure. So I store it up so that I have it. Why? That I might not sin against you. So that when I am called upon to make a decision, my decision-making resource is already in my heart. I can't press that enough. That's why. Now... I want to use an illustration because it makes sense to me. I'm not trying to, to continually come back to the school part, but I, this makes so much sense to me. It hit me today when I was looking back over this lesson. So I hope it makes sense to you the way it makes sense to me. But one of the things that I'm trying to accomplish uh, as a language arts teacher, both to my seniors who are headed out there real soon, or to the sophomores that I teach, is the idea of how to take notes, how to actually put something on paper. Because has anybody in here, be honest, have you ever in your life taken notes, whether it was notes, worship notes, sermon notes, or doctor notes, or notes in school? You wrote all this stuff down, and then later you picked it up and looked at it and thought, Wait, what is that? I, has anybody ever done that? I've done that. Oh, I've done that a lot. You ever done that? We all have. Now, I want you to think about this. I just had my nine weeks exam, my term exam, for both my seniors and my sophomores, uh, they were allowed to use their notes in their book. Now, before you think that... An open book test is a, is a give-me test. It's not. Not if you don't know how to think. So that's what I'm trying to teach them. Now, I'm, I'm about to make a point, I promise. I had some who couldn't do it. 
because what they had taken down. You know who made well on that test? I actually had a 10th grader who actually said to me, <laughs> he actually said to me, Mr. Hodgin, would you please look again? Because that can't be my grade. He's not used to making that kind of grade, but it really was. Because all I pressed upon them was, when you read this, you take down the notes, and you take them down in such a way so that when I'm asking you these questions, you can take what you've written, and you can think about what you've written, and then you can put it on paper in a way that makes sense as it, it comes through your mind. But in order to be able to write this on paper, you had to have it here. And the ones who didn't do it properly... And it's almost, it's not professional to enjoy watching them struggle, but sometimes we do because we've tried to tell them. They're digging in the book, trying to, hoping some answer is going to jump up at them, but the ones who had it written down, the ones who had it there, the ones who knew what I was going to ask and they had prepared their notes, you know what they did? They just simply and began to type their answers. And that will, don't you think that's a good skill for them to know as college students? And adults, okay, now, step out of the classroom and step into my heart. I have stored up my word that I might not sin against you. When I am faced with a temptation or a sin or a decision, someone has hurt me, someone has made me angry, I am just about to, oh! And then I remember... The verses that I have just recently read and thought about, I am reminded that, wait a minute, that's not what a Christian does. And why am I reminded? Because my storehouse is so full of God's Word that when I need it, I don't have to stop and try to go back to my childhood and remember what Miss Eva and Miss Jimmy taught me in Bible class. Now, it's still there. But my storehouse is so full that my heart can reach it very quickly. You know, I wonder if we tried something. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a good thing to, to try maybe. Sometimes when we get upset, sometimes when, when maybe if you dropped, uh, what would be the first thing that came out of your mouth when you, uh, if you dropped a 30-pound anvil on your foot? Yeah, don't answer that out loud. Okay, and then we thought of, but if those words that we wouldn't want to say or we'd want to apologize for... If we replace those, if our first responses were the first thing we thought, the first thing, and it will be, that verse says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man stores up good things in his heart. Good things come out more quickly than other things. Why? Because they're on top. They're closest to the surface. They're within easy reach. I store up in God's, or God's Word in my heart, so that I might not sin. You know, and then he goes on, that very last part, that word teach. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me. Teach me. Now that's an interesting word too, because in the Hebrew, that word is used not just for teaching students, getting uh, someone to, teaching someone something so they'll get it but it also means, uh, it was a word used for training beast with a, with a stick, with a rod. Uh, training uh, soldiers for war. Active. Now think about that for a minute. The words, because, is it possible that the English word teach has been diluted in our society? So that teach means that I stand up and say words and you take them or leave them. That's really not what this word teach means. You don't give that animal a choice because he's got to learn to do things a certain way and you keep until he teaches or until he learns. You keep training. And the idea of teach here is to teach someone something, but human beings are a little different than donkeys. Humans are a little different than oxen. They're a little different than, than other animals. For someone to be taught, they must first want to blank. Learn. For me to teach you, or for God to teach me, I have to want to learn. Um, the sad truth is, in the education system, uh, I have said this, and I don't mean it flippantly. 
We can do all kinds of things to make sure that there is no child left behind. Don't you love that phrase? Teachers cringe when they hear that. Or no child falls through the cracks. But you can't do anything about the ones who deliberately jump. I'm not trying to be flippant, but that's the truth. I make my students laugh every year because I tell them I have some right now. I told them just recently, uh, it's going to be awfully lonely. It's going to be awkward at graduation because we're all going to be there with diplomas and none of y'all going to be here. I was being a little harsh on purpose. But I said that if... I use an illustration. If you're in a... I'm in a boat and you're in a choppy sea and you've gone down several times and you just know you're not going to make it. Can you imagine that? What would it be like? And here, Kevin, here I come. Think about it. You're on the boat. How would you feel if somebody was in the water and you got close enough to them and you threw one of those rings with that rope on it and you throw it out there and they look at it and they take it and then they throw it back to you? Is that not the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? God cannot teach me if I am not receptive of it. Did you hear what he said? Blessed are you, O Lord. That means I have opened my heart. I recognize you as God. I accept you as my teacher. Teach me, O Lord. See, it isn't just a matter of storing. It isn't just a matter of, in fact, go with me. Last week I had plenty of time, not going to happen this week. Turn to John chapter 6. Let's read John 6, 44 and 45. And while you're turning there, we know that in Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20, go into all nations and make disciples or... uh, Go into, all, go into all the world and teach on, uh, make disciples of all men. Teach on baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them to observe. You keep on, okay? Now, John chapter 6, verses 44 and 45. Read it, Kevin. Uh, See, stop right there. See, all it takes is God drawing me to him. It might be in a uh, a dream. It might be in a voice in the middle of the night. See, all that's got to happen is God... uh, Now, hush and let him read the rest of it, though. Okay, read it. So, how does God draw people to Him today? Through Christ. And how does that happen? By being taught. We have to be willing to let God teach us. So here, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored it up in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Teach me those statutes so I can store them up. You know, one thing that I learned, it's, and Lisa and I, we kind of laughed about it, but... Uh, uh, we've done some things, or she's done, I say we, uh, some things this summer, uh, done some canning and some uh, preserving, both in a freezer. Uh, and, but there were some pears, and she made some pear preserves and had just a little bit left. So it didn't put it through the process of, you know, sealing it, and you put the jar in the uh, warm water. I didn't know all that stuff. And then you listen to it pop, uh, and you do all of that. Well, we had just a little bit left, and we just put it in the refrigerator. And it molded. But I've never had that happen before. If you take it out and, and you take it off and, and what, what you preserved and put it... Because it went through the process. That part that we stuck in the refrigerator hadn't gone through the process. It hadn't gone through the sealing process and the, the, that makes it complete. Now you think, okay, he's wandered off again. No, he really hasn't because that word... Uh, um, I have stored up your word. Oh, I'm sorry. When I back up to uh, going back to, I just thought about it, that keeping, I keep God's word, I store it up. That word, how shall a young man uh, purify his ways by keeping? That word has the idea of preserving too. Sometimes we don't let God preserve us through his process. 
So that down the road, and you may think this is the dumbest illustration you've ever heard, but I promise you won't forget it. We end up moldy spiritually and wondering what's happened to us because we didn't let God's Word be our preservative. We just kind of took a little bit and did it our own way. It doesn't work. It's never worked. Okay, I want to go ahead. I'm pretty sure this clicker does not like me. What am I doing wrong? The big button, right? Hmm. All right, let's go to number three. Number uh, pages 13, (laughs) verses 13 and 14. My relationship and my responsibility with God's word involve my lips. Involves my, my life. It involves my heart. It involves my lips. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as, in all, as much as riches. I love the Word of God more than anything else in the world. What did Jeremiah say in, um, in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9? He said, well, let's look at it. In Jeremiah 20 and verse 9, Jeremiah was a little frustrated. Jeremiah made a decision to simply stop as far as God's word was concerned, or as far as his prophecy, his role as a prophet, if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I am weary from holding it in and I cannot. The idea is that the word of God is so much a part of who you are. Are Do you hear me? It's so much a part of who you are. It's so much a part of you that it just comes out. It just comes out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the man speaks. Going back to what Jesus said in the book of Matthew, out of the abundance of the heart, if God's word is a part, I declare the rules of your mouth with my lips. It's just a natural thing for, for me to put it out there. I can't help it. Is that who we are? My relationship with the word of God involves my lips. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm always preaching to someone. It doesn't mean that I'm that doesn't just mean an active Bible study. It means that my lips have the Word of God on them in some shape, form, or fashion on a regular basis because I am so full of it. I am so full of it that I can't help myself. I simply can't help myself. And I knew that was going to happen probably, but. Number four, it involves my life, it involves my heart, it involves my lips, and it involves my mind. You see, isn't that the same thing as heart? The Bible uses the word mind. It differentiates between mind and heart, I think, because of the intellectual need to process the Word of God. There's an intellectual need to think about the Word of God. That word, um, meditate, I will meditate on your precepts. Do you know what it means? It literally means to ponder. In the New Testament, the Greek meaning it has a similar meaning. In uh, uh, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 15, Paul said, meditate on these things. Do you know what that means? It means ponder. That's a good southern word. What does ponder mean? If Grandpa was on the porch pondering life, what was he doing? Oh, come on. What was he doing? He was thinking and reflecting. He was. Did you know this Hebrew word, and you're going to smile, it means literally to converse with oneself. What? I talk to myself? Yes. What are you talking about? You're talking about the Word of God. You're talking out loud or not out loud. You're talking to yourself about, hey, what does this mean? How does this apply? Now, do we do that? If we do, then we understand the depth of the relationship. Pray with me, please. Most gracious God, thank you for allowing us to come into your presence in the study of your word. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be your children who want to have a relationship with you and your word with our lives and with our hearts and with our lips and with our minds. Forgive us, Father when we fail to do that and strengthen us to be better students and better servants.
In your son's precious name, amen. So parents, if you'll go get your children, do that now if you would. And the rest of us will dismiss after the parents. I know if you would, we're not ringing a bell. I think it got rung Wednesday. We're not trying not to ring a bell so the kids don't rush down the hallway that parents will go get them. Oh, if you have not had the chance to take the Lord's Supper, uh, it is in um, the little chapel and...